Welcome to the Hillside Community Church Podcast. Wherever you're at in your faith, we hope this episode encourages you. If you enjoy the listen, let your friends know, and we'll catch you next time. Well, good morning. It's good to see all of you. We are starting a new series today called uh, If Not Now. Uh, So this is the time of year. Right, some internal alarm goes off that alerts us to the prospect of change. We sort of can feel almost that there are certain adjustments that need to be made to our lives. It's the feeling of a fresh start, and it usually starts with uh, high hopes, and so it's a good, good time. Uh, I was researching Google. Google will tell you that 80% of diets are searched in January. And or or on the first day of a week or the first day of the month, you know, because it's it's the the beginning sort of uh, puts hope in us. So now's the time. This is the time. But we failed so often in the past, you know, uh, to fulfill some of the dreams we've had about our lives that um Sort of that the desire to do it anymore has gotten suppressed, or you don't even say resolutions. I mean, people are hesitant to use the word resolution anymore. Um, so, you know, I understand. Well, um, and if you go to Barnes and Noble, by the way, which I did, I spent a couple of times there just in their self help section, which grows literally by the month, it's bigger and bigger. Uh, you will be overwhelmed by all the problems you have <laughs> and that need to be fixed. I mean, it's like you're looking at some of them and you're like, I don't know that I want to live anymore after looking at some of the. You can't even believe uh, some of the issues that you, you didn't even realize you had that until you saw the book. Well, anyway, let me just sort of tell you a little bit about what my goal is for the series. I want us to look at some big categories of our lives, just a, a few big categories of our lives that we would consider big, you know, like our health or our finances uh, or, you know, our, our relationships, uh, things like that, just sort of big, and maybe some smaller categories within them, just a few, and see what God has to say about them for us as we start this new year. And uh, just, I mean, I'm not, I'm not, this is not a series to help you clean your garage out, all right? And, and I, the last thing I want to give you is a TED Talk. Um, there's, there's more at stake than that. So let me start by saying a, a couple things that I think are as important as the series itself, all right? First, it's very possible that you are sabotaging your own life right now, and if you did take a minute to look at it, and you've probably maybe buried your head because it's too overwhelming, that your life in some category that I just mentioned, or maybe another one, is just a mess. And it's a serious thing. Uh, and you know it's serious. And you're headed for a danger point if, if you don't make a change. Uh, so I recognize that that is there. And you might need help, or you might need to wake up, or whatever the case. But it's serious for you. Uh, so that's the first thing. Uh, we can sort of, we can sabotage ourselves. The second thing is we can also be self-absorbed where you make too much of these things. 
to the point that you become anxious or neurotic or maybe critical, maybe you're a perfectionist, um, and you make, you're capable of making a good thing an ultimate thing, and that'll destroy you too. All right, Uh, as humans, we can do both of those. We can sabotage ourselves, or we can make a good thing more important than it ought to be. And that can be destructive as well. So uh, while these areas are important, we don't want to make any of them ends in themselves. We'll overwhelm ourselves, and, and in the end, they're not going to work for you. I mean, if, if, if retiring well is the, is the only goal, I mean, and you're just living for it, and it's all you got, just remember... Uh, there's coming an end to your life. I did a funeral Friday for a friend, 56, unexpected, heart attack, retiring two weeks from now. All his plans, all of that, just gone. Just overwhelming. And you, could, you just could feel it. And so keep in mind that none of these things can become ultimate in themselves or you destroy your life. Look at this verse right here. First uh, Corinthians says this. This is Paul's letter to the church at Corinth. If we have hoped in Christ in this life only. In other words, even if Christ is in your life, but he doesn't help you past this life. Look what Paul says. You're to be pitied. You're to be pitied if, you're, if your favorite things and, and your ultimate things and the things you hope in the most are all in this life because you're not going to be here long. You know, my father will say to me, you know, I usually call my dad on the way, you know, when I'm, my, my favorite times to call my dad is when I'm leaving work, usually on the way to the gym uh, or when I'm coming home from it. And so we talk pretty regularly. And so he'll say to me, you know, are you, are you leaving or come? Are you going to the gym? Are you, I'm, I'm leaving. I'm coming. And he'll go, man, you are going to look great in a coffin. You really are going to look great in a coffin. And, you know, I say, you know, Dad, you're very encouraging. Thank you very, very much. You need this series, Dad. You need this series. But he's right. At one level, it can't be your ultimate thing. Because it's not, it's not capable of sustaining the weight of being the ultimate thing. And then I also like uh, what Paul says here in uh, 1 Corinthians. Uh, let's see. In, the, in 1 Corinthians 10, he says this. So whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do everything for the glory of God. In other words, eating and drinking is an important part of life. But even it needs a greater goal. Don't make it the main thing. Because if you make it the main thing, you're going to hurt yourself. At the end of the day, at some point, you're not going to be able to eat and drink anything. You'll be sucking it in. Or somebody will be feeding it into you. And then there'll be nothing. So don't make it everything. Don't make it ultimate. Something. If it's not eternal and ultimate, then it's not ultimately valuable. So look what Paul says. Don't seek your own good. In the same chapter, he says that. Don't seek your own good, but the good of the other person. And so there's the same idea of don't get self-absorbed in any of these. You get self-absorbed in them. You know, you, you get to where you're finally on the diet and everybody who's eating poorly around you, you, you they disgust you. 
You know what I'm saying? And it just becomes self-absorption and it's all about you and you can't believe what other people are doing because you finally made a change. All right, or if you're doing something, and then you get self-critical and you get critical of others and judgmental and that'll mess you up too. So, now with that said, let me uh, just sort of introduce our topics and our series. And we're gonna look at Proverbs. Proverbs, let me just read the text to you first. You have the image in your head, and then we'll go through it. He says, I, this is what the writer of Proverbs says. I passed by the field of a sluggard and by the vineyard of a man lacking sense. And he says, behold, it was all overgrown with thorns. Ground was covered with nettles, and its stone wall was broken down. Then I saw and considered it. And I looked and received instruction. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. And then he says, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. This is a very, very uh, practical but powerful uh, text. And so we ought to start with the idea that these Proverbs, the writers of the Proverbs were very committed to wisdom, and they were looking all the time for visual illustrations. How can I drive home a point and make sure people take it personally and, ex, and almost experience it, you know? So this is one of the, their sort of teaching tools. It's a very visual, graphic image that he wants you to stare at, even though by the time we're done, you go, man, that's hard to look at. It's hard to see that. He's going to sort of force you into it. And the sluggard, you know, this guy, he's, he's pretty famous in Proverbs because like one of the most foolish things, you know, the greatest depiction of folly in Proverbs is the guy who never gets around to doing the things he knows he ought to be doing. And he's just, he's, he lacks the sense, to, to the foresight and the ability to move in a day. And so uh, he's sort of a tragic comedy kind of figure. I mean, the funniest things are said about this guy because he's parodied easy because it's just so crazy what he's allowing to happen in his life. And so uh, the picture is a field. Now, this is really important in the Old Testament, in the agricultural world you had. A field represented your life. It was every, everything the field represented represented you. It supported you. It, uh, it gave you... Uh, a tasks to do every day. It required very high maintenance, very hard work. You got to do daily things. You got to have a little bit of foresight. You got to manage things. You got to do some things every single day. And the field, look, in Proverbs, in fact, just a few verses before this, look what, he's, look what his advice is. Prepare your work outside. I mean, get your outside work done. That's your field. Get everything ready for yourself in the field. After that, Build your house. So whatever building your house is, you can put anything there. And for writer of Proverbs, you know, commentators think he's probably saying, you know, then you get married. You, you, you get yourself married after you figure out how you're going to feed everybody, you know, kind of a thing. So the field represents your life. Get that done first. That's the image. And so uh, there's a lot of investment that has to be made. Patience when it comes to the field. Um, 
So field is a good image. Now, look what he says about, so he says, behold, turn your face this way. It's basically saying, you got to see this. His entire field was overgrown with thorns, the ground was covered with nettles, and the stone wall was broken down. So on the outside of their property, the stone wall would have been rocks that they stacked on each other. There was no mortar or anything like that. It was just... And it was designed to keep things out as a protective thing. It protected them. It also delimited their space. It also marked how much of space they had to be responsible for. So the wall was, was, was very important to what you were trying to grow and to keep things out of it. And so uh, you see these terms, this overgrown and covered. And what this is trying to tell you is, like a word like that, and then covered over. Uh, this, there wasn't one moment that caused this. There wasn't one defining moment. A meteor didn't come out of the sky and ruin this guy's field. That's a whole different set of problems that's not in this series. Uh, this is over time. Processes at work. Neglect. You didn't get around to it. This happens, and then all of a sudden, look at this picture. So that's the images he's trying to get out at you. So you got to remember that you're always working against laws and principles in life. And the writer of Proverbs is a master at bringing those laws and principles out. And what he's also a master at is reminding you that even if you, if you, if you ignore the principles, you don't even know what the principles are. They're either working for you or against you. You're either working them, you're acting to make sure that those laws stay at bay, or they're working on you. But you can count on it. If you're not maintaining it, that law's working against you. It's growing over or the wall's caving in. And so he is not productive and he's not protected. He's vulnerable, this person. And probably all feel that in areas of our life. Well, right now we would say, I'm not very protected. I don't know uh, if my relationship with my spouse is, is gonna survive here if we don't get some things straight. You feel vulnerable financially or some other category. Maybe health-wise, you feel a little vulnerable. He's asking you to feel that. You either act toward those things or all of those things will act on you. The laws and principles don't stop, even if you don't know what they are. And so in verse 32, he said, well, what are we going to do about this? Well, here's the first thing he says to do. And there's actually another I in here. So there's three I's in here. He says, then I saw... And I considered it, and I looked, and I received instruction. So we're talking about uh, a very, this is an invitation to go a little bit deeper. Initially, he says, hey, just behold, take a look at this. you got to see this field. Now he's saying, I want you to reflect internally in a unique way, very serious way. I saw it, I considered it, I looked. And I received instruction. So this is the moment where you're looking at the situation and you take in the advice and you go, that applies to me. So all of a sudden there's an openness and a reflection here. And you notice this word here, received. I'm actually in a position where I can take in some advice right now that I have not been paying attention to. So this is sort of a call to face truth, examine your life, See the mess. 
Maybe there's an area of your life right now that's in, sh- in shambles or it's heading that way. Now, it's interesting in life, most of us are very frustrated by the fact almost every day that we can't predict the future. We cannot predict it. And that frustrates us to almost, almost nothing besides death itself that reminds us that we're not God. Is that we don't know what's happening. But there are some areas in life that are very predictable. In 2018, do you think ever once you said this, maybe to your spouse, maybe you're driving home from a, a maybe a, you were with some people and you're driving home and you heard some stories and maybe t- people were sharing their lives a little bit and you, and you said this to maybe to your spouse, uh, man, they should have seen this coming. You ever say that? I bet you've said it. You drive home from a couple and you're listening to them and you're watching them and you're going, man, that's not, that's not going to end well. You ever said that? It's not going to end well. Uh, or you said this. I'll tell you what's going to happen. <laughs> you say that to your kids? <laughs> you say that to your kids. All three of these things you say, that's not going to end well. And you say it to your kids because you've seen it before. You've seen, this, you've seen this movie before. And we can predict to a great degree what's going to happen just by our actions. And so uh, we say Now, here's the thing about us. It's really easy to see, to predict other people's lives. Our lives are fine. Hey, I'm fine. I'll get there. Don't worry about me. I'm good. That's what we say. So here's the thing about us that is probably happening to all of us right now in some areas on number one. You're going to let yourself off the hook very easily on something. You'll let yourself off the hook. Eh, you know, I'll be, it's no big deal. But if it was somebody else and you were watching or it was your kid, you'd be like, oh, no, hold the phone. We got to get stop the train. It'd be like we got to, for ourselves, we're off the hook. Second thing is we downplay future effects. Ah, it'll be all right when I get there next year, 20 years, whatever the case may be. You, you just, you're just really at the end of the day. You're just crossing your fingers and hoping for the best. But, it, but remember, the principles... And the laws will work against you if you don't work on them. And then finally, another thing about us, we let ourselves off the hook, we downplay future effects, but we also are incredibly adaptable to horrible circumstances that we create. You wonder like some areas of your life where you just go right now, I don't even know how I've survived the way I eat. I don't even know how I've lived. I don't even know why I'm still alive. The way I eat. You ever said that about that? Or you go, you look at my financial situation. I can't believe I still have money to buy food right now with the way I mismanage money. I can't believe it. Uh, you, you just, for some reason, you have figured out, maybe it's in your relationship, something. You've just figured out a way to go. And I brought this out here because when I was, uh, this is just a story that I remember really well when I bought our first home. When I bought our first home, uh, I was young. I mean, this, oh, I, I hate even thinking about how, Foolish I was most of the time. Um, but my dad bought me my first lawnmower. It was a red one, just like this. And it was a big deal, you know. Dad wanted to, you know, hey, the field's important. That's lawn's my deal. And so I say, yeah, thanks, Dad, for the lawnmower. And I remember I used it for a long time. I kept that thing for really a long time. And uh, at one point in time, one of the, the, the back wheel, this back wheel right here started to crack. It started to crack about right here, and it got very, very fragile. And so you know how when you're, when you're, when you're mowing, you know, and you're going to turn, you know, you just, you just pivot it, 
and turn and go like this with it. Sometimes, you know, you can pick it up and do this kind of thing. Well, because this crack started to occur this one summer, and uh, I couldn't pivot it. I couldn't pivot it. So every time I turned, I had to lift. I had to lift it. I did that for two summers. For two summers, I pushed that mower with a wobbly wheel that could break any minute. I got so comfortable pushing that thing that I didn't even realize I was lifting that mower every time I I made a run or a pass. All I had to do was go to Home Depot. Because you're not going to believe this. They sell wheels. And I remember the day finally that, you know, after you mow the lawn and you're irritated that you forgot about it, then you get into the week and you forget about it and you don't go get the wheel and then you mow Saturday and there it is again. You're picking it up. And I just got to where I'll just pick it up then. And we're doing that in our lives. Some of us right now are doing life very, very difficultly because we're not willing to face the problem and deal with it. Um. So that's, that's what we're capable of as humans. Now, here is the point of this verse right here. And I think it's the most, I, I, I just did a lot of reading, research on this stuff. Can't, it's all blending together to some degree. I can't always remember who's there. But I remember this guy, Judson Brewer. He has this program where he helps people either, you know, stop stress eating or quit smoking or something like that. And he, uh, and, and he said something in his deal that grabbed my attention in his sort of presentation. He said, um, you know, bad habits and good habits are all automatic. You're doing them without thinking about them. Your bad habits happen automatically without you thinking about them, and your good habits do. So he said, the first thing you do before you even start taking on a good habit is, and I love this word, he says, get curious about your bad ones. And when he said that, it caught my attention because curious is kind of a positive word. It's kind of a, hmm. Interesting, it's sort of positive. It's motivating a little bit. You're like, yeah, I am a little curious. And what he does is he forces people to look really close. So he'll tell smokers in his little program, he'll say, don't worry about quitting smoking. Just for a little while now, all I want you to do is when you go outside, I want you to think about that thing in your hand. I want you to focus on everything, how much it costs. I want you to focus about what's, what's happening when it goes in you. I want you to think about what triggered it. I want you to think about what it really is and how stinky it actually is and how, how it's really, there's not a whole lot of benefits except for this like sort of immediate feeling in you. And what I want is for you to just get disenchanted with it just a little bit at a visceral level and look at it and go, this is ridiculous what I'm doing to myself instead of just automatically doing it and later saying, yeah, I have, a, I have a bad habit of smoking, okay? Or I have a bad habit of stress eating, whatever the case may be. Stop yourself and get really curious. He says, get a real close and pers- get really up close and personal with what's happening in your mind and body and get disenchanted with it. That's one of his things. And I think that's sort of what he is saying right here. You need to take a good hard look at this area of your life, whatever it is. And you need to get really curious about why you have allowed yourself to pick that lawnmower up all this time, to to work with a wobbly wheel all this time, and never do anything about it. Get curious. So I love that phraseology. All right, so get curious about your bad habits. And the second thing is really the essence of the whole proverb. It's right here. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. So you can see, obviously, three times he's going to use this word here, so that means it's probably what? Important, right? 
And then he's going to use this same image here, just sleep, and then you're going to, you know, and then you're just sort of, you know, out of it a little bit, and then you're just useless. Right here, you're doing nothing. Okay, almost a, you know, that kind of thing. And you just see the, 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 the digression in it. And it's slow. Which is the importance of the word little. So this guy doesn't commit himself to failure. It's little by little by little. It's not fast. He deceives himself in small increments. And it happens as imperceptibly as falling asleep. As pleasant as falling asleep. It just slowly happens. This is a really important thing. Because he's about to say what I think is the key to everything we're going to talk about over this whole thing. Is wake up. Wake up. Little things make a big difference. Little things make a big difference. It's not a profound truth, but you know it's very difficult for us, especially in our culture where everything happens fast and everything is in your hope and everything happens big. And we have gotten to the point where we completely devalue the little things. And there's no catastrophe here. There's no sudden event that causes it. It's just subtle moves. You, and here's what he's saying. You got into this mess little by little. So if you're in the mess little by little, it's probably because you devalued little things. But then, this is the other point. If you're in a mess right now and you're thinking, how am I going to get out of this? And you're thinking, if I can't get out of it by tomorrow, then I'm just going to stay in it. I'm just going to keep pushing that wobbly wheel. It's going to take little things to get out of it. You're, not, you're going to have to do the little things you, you haven't been doing to get out of it. You're going to have to value the little things one way or another. And they're either going to work against you little by little or they're going to work for you little by little. So, uh, listen, you're not a machine. Can't go to Home Depot and fix you. Don't you wish that you could? You're far more complex than that. And the things that matter most, the things that matter the most, take longer. It's always been true, and it'll never change. It doesn't matter how fast you get information, how quick your iPhone is. It doesn't matter, it doesn't matter how fast things come to us, how fast we drive. It doesn't matter anything. When it comes to the things that matter the most, speed usually kills it's the slow pace. So, he's trying to say little actions over time make the most difference. Uh, so I'm reading this book, and I, I recommend it. I've read a number of books on habits and the subject of self-discipline. I've got about three or four that I think are really great. Probably throughout this series, I'll give you those. Um, but the one I've... Uh, I'm in now is called Atomic Habits. Here, I'll put it up for you. It's by James Clear. It's, it's very readable, very applicable. I mean, it's, a, it's an easy book to read, and you'll like it on this topic. It's a, I think he uses um, some great imagery for these kinds of things. Anyway, it's called Atomic Habits, which this is sort of the first page on it. He puts atomic up here and says, 
uh, and he defines it, an extremely small amount of a thing, the single reducible unit of a large system, the source of immense energy and power. When we say atomic, that's what we mean. Tiny, but very, very powerful. And then, of course, habits, a routine of practice performed regularly to where it becomes an automatic response to you. you. You just don't even think about it. Your brain loves those because your brain says, I got other things to think about. Just handle it. That's what, that's what your habits are. So, um, so he says, just as atoms are building blocks of molecules, habits are the atoms of our lives. They're small, but they're mighty. Now, he gave an illustration at the beginning of this book that I haven't been able to get out of my head. It's really been motivating to me. So uh, let, me, let me get you sort of acclimated to this illustration. He, and he's talking about British cycling as it relates to like the Tour de France kind of thing. He says, the fate of British cycling changed one day in 2003. The organization, which was the governing body for professional cycling in Great Britain, hired Dave Brailsford as its new performance director. At the time, professional cyclists in Great Britain had endured nearly 100 years of mediocrity. Since 1908, British riders had won just a single gold medal at the Olympic Games, and they had fared even worse in cycling's biggest race, the Tour de France. Get this. In 110 years, no British cyclist had ever won the event. In fact, you'll like this. The performance of British riders had been so underwhelming that one of the top bike manufacturers in Europe refused to sell bikes to the team because they were afraid that it would hurt sales. That's how bad they were. So Brailsford, this guy, gets hired, and his goal is to put British cycling on a new trajectory. What made him different from previous coaches was his relentless commitment to one strategy, a specific strategy, that he referred to as the aggregation of marginal gains. In other words, the collection of, of, of small gains. That's what he wanted to do. So this philosophy of searching for a tiny margin of improvement in everything you do. He said the whole principle came from the idea if you broke down everything about cycling, what does it look like? So let me show you some of the things that he did. So I'm reading this and I'm like, what did he do to help these guys? And here's eight of them. First thing he did was make the seats more comfortable. You ever ridden a bike for a long time? Okay, then you know exactly what they make special shorts for that. All right, it's tough on the buns, tough on the buns. And these guys, by the way, are riding along, all right? Rubbing alcohol on the tires for better grip. Can you imagine the day he went out there to do that and all the riders going, you got to be kidding me. You got to be kidding me. Electrically heated overshorts to maintain ideal muscle temperature. He changed the fabric of the racing suits, made it thinner and more wind resistant. Figured out which, did a study, did a study on the guys for massage gels that made muscle recovery Faster and better. Can you imagine coming in for practice and he's just going to hand everybody a gel? We're going to get better, guys. Rub this on your thigh, right there. Why? And you're like, hey, is this, who's this guy? Wash your hands. You know, he hired a surgeon to come in and teach the guys how to wash their hands so that they wouldn't get sick and miss practice. Guys are nut. Changed mattresses and pillows for each rider. Did a test on every one of them to see how, which one made them sleep. Each one slept sleep better. 
Obviously, you're putting up that much in it, you better, you better rest. He painted the inside of the truck that carried the bikes white so that you could see any particles against that white background that would degrade the performance of the finely tuned bikes. And I'm reading this and I'm going, I still think they're going to lose. Okay, that's what I was thinking. I was reading it. Listen to this. Just listen to this. That was mind blown. Here's what happened. Five years it took implementing these. The British cycling team dominated the road and track cycling events at 2008 Olympics in Beijing, where they won an astounding 60% of the gold medals. Listen to this. Four years later, when the Olympic gold when the Olympic Games came to London, the Brits raised the bars. They set nine Olympic records and seven world records. The same year, Bradley Wiggins became the first British cyclist to win the Tour de France. And then Chris Froome, from however he says it, Froome, I think, uh, won it three years in a row, 2015, 16, and 17. Three years in a row. Now listen to this. During the 10-year span from 2007 to 2017, British cyclists won 178 world championships and 66 Olympic or Paralympic gold medals and captured five Tour de France victories in what is widely regarded as the most successful run in cycling history. Is that insane? I've just been so motivated by that. I, I can't wait to tell you some of the little things that I've changed in my life over the course of a day. Because I'm seeing just the power of them and the way to put them into, uh, into my life. So here's what this writer is saying. Stop, getting, stop overwhelming yourself with the big goal. You come into January and you go, next year I want to be, you know, 60 pounds lighter. And I want to run a marathon. And I want to be, I want to have, you know, half a million dollars in the bank. And you just set a goal that's so lofty, that's so overwhelming, that it just crushes you by Thursday. By Thursday, you're crushed. He says, just, you know, you can have a goal out there. And you can get specific as you want. But don't keep your mind on that. It's, it's focus on every single day, small improvements. Stop overvaluing the big goal and the big moments and defining moments and hoping your ship comes in. And stop undervaluing small improvements. So we convince ourselves that massive success requires massive actions. But like I said, the most powerful, the most powerful outcomes are delayed. The one that's the most important. You don't fix your struggling marriage tomorrow. You don't fix your financial situation tomorrow. Can't do it. No category. You, you're, you're not going to be fit tomorrow. You've got you to bring that into your life and realize the small things that I do today will eventually get me to that place. So you've got to fall in love with today's action. So he does the math. He, he does some math in his book. And he literally says, if you, if you change 1% a day for a year, you'll be 37% better at the end of the year, the math. But if you get 1% worse in a category all year long, you, 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 it takes you... Declines all the way down to zero. The truth. Not only are you uh, losing, but you got nothing. Okay, it's just that bad. 
So I have written down in my notes and the way I describe it now, just fall in love with today's little actions. Think about, a, think about slow pace of transformation when you're talking about things that matter to you. Uh, because the big goal will knock us off track. It's, it's the trajectory that matters most. So, you know, I, I, you know, I've done a little bit of financial counseling. Not a whole lot. Helping a person with a budget here and there. And, you know, there are times, and I remember this in my own life, when somebody told me, you know, you need to start saving money. And I remember at the time, it was only like $25 is all I had extra. And I remember thinking, if I only have $25, I'm going to wait till I at least have $500 a month to save. And that's where the big timeout came. No, 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 no. You value that $25 enough to put it aside today. And then you watch it grow. And as time goes and you start to orient, you know, 1% change in maybe your spending, that little 25 can grow to 100 or 250. And then you can start putting more. It's just that thing, finding a small thing that you do now and, and loving it. Love the fact that you've got $25 left over. And use it wisely. That kind of thing. Uh, I got a buddy. You know, you know Lonnie. Lonnie's 87 years old. This guy, before he gets out, he's the most exercising man I know. And he didn't start till he was 50. But he's 87, and he can work you to, he'll work, outwork anybody. Still works in rental homes. And just kills himself. And this is a man who, who literally will work out 365 days a year. So one guy no, never misses a day for, for years. And he wakes up every morning, and the first thing he does, this 87-year-old man, to make sure he can move is about, he does, 30, 30 minutes of little stretches right there in the bed before he ever gets out of the bed. And his wife's sleeping next to him while he does it. For 30 minutes every day before he gets out of the bed. And that's why he can move a little bit. You go, Who, how's that going to help anybody? Keeps him moving. Keeps him working. Some of us have a little lower back, a little aches and pains. We do nothing for we, The word stretch means pants. Do you mean stretchy pants? That's the only stretch we know. I got to stretch these pants. No, 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 no. There's a whole other kind of stretching. Change your life. Just a few minutes. Maybe you do. And here's the thing about the, the small that's so very, very important. you got to say, I can only do one stretch. I don't have to do 30 minutes. Don't do 30 minutes. That's a guy who's been doing it a long time. Why don't you just say, you know, for, for, for a minute and a half, I'm going to do some stretches before I get out of the bed. That's a, just a tiny little change. But you watch what happens in three months when your butt cheeks are a little tighter. And they, and they help you so your lower back ain't working so hard. You've got a bottom that can help you a little bit. Bottom needs to be helping you. All right, it can help. So just a little, couple of little stretches can do that. Um, so those are just a few. I'm doing it with my Bible reading, a uh, couple things. I'll give you some deals on that. You know, because some of you say, I'm not a reader. I know, don't read a lot. Just read one verse. Don't say, well, I can't read the whole Bible in three months, so I'm not going to read. No, 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 no. Read one verse if that's all you can do. Eventually, you read a little more. Some of you, you'd like to really run. You I mean, you'd love to run. And you're setting these goals like, I'm going to do uh, two miles every other day. And I'm going to make sure I'm doing 20. 
for 15 miles a week and you're doing all this stuff and you've never even bought a pair of running shoes. Just put them on and walk to the stop sign at 4 o'clock today. No matter what's going on, 4 o'clock, where'd mom go? She just walked to the stop sign. I don't know what she's doing. I don't know where she went. And then walk back. You don't have to do anything major or big, but tomorrow at 4, do it again. Pretty soon you get tired of doing that, and you'll say, you know what, I think I'm going to walk down to Joe's house over there and see what they're doing. And you walk down to there, and then tomorrow you do the same thing. Pretty soon you'll be moving. That's how everybody does it. Nobody gets to do the whole thing immediately. Just fall in love with the little thing in whatever category. So he says, stop expecting progress in a linear fashion. This is a really important point. You won't have a moment where you wake up and go, this workout right here that I did on Thursday, January 2019, was the one that made the difference. You're not going to have that. I don't care how good your workout was yesterday. Not one of them make a difference. Compounded, they make a difference. That's what makes the difference. So you're not going to see change right away. And the things that matter most, you never do. That $25 will grow, but you got to give it time. Time will work on your side. Time is either your ally in good habits or it's, a, it's your enemy in your bad ones. So you stop, you stop looking for all the results. I want to lose 30 pounds this month. How come I didn't lose three yesterday? Can't do it that way. You got to take it slow. You do that in all these categories. Stop looking for it in linear fashion. Now, uh, so you may know this. If you're a San Antonio Spurs fan, this is what the San Antonio Spurs, when they leave their locker room every, every time, every time they leave it, this is what they read. When nothing seems to help, I look at a stone cutter hammering away at his rock, perhaps a hundred times without as much as a crack showing in it. Yet at the hundred and first blow, it will split in two. And I know it was not the last blow that did it, but all the ones that had gone before. This is their phrase, sort of pound the rock. You just, you keep banging away. And then one day, and the way this thing works is you have these, you, you cross a critical threshold. You don't know when you got healthy. It wasn't Thursday, January 2019. That wasn't the moment that just all of a sudden, now I can run longer than I ever have. Now all of a sudden, I'm a little more fit. Now all of a sudden, we have a little bit of an emergency fund. Now all of a sudden, our wife and I, we just started a date night. We didn't do anything major. Our marriage is a mess. All we did was start with a date night that we were committed to, and nothing's going to get in the way of it. That was the only way we could really talk in the course of a week. Give yourself a year of that. Give yourself a year of that. Some of you do those stretches. You do those stretches. January 2019, you'd be moving like this, baby. You'd be moving like this. Some of you did that right now. We'd have to, we'd have to help you up. You'd be moving a little bit. You go, ooh. It's going to take a little bit of time. But just remember, the most valuable things do. The most valuable things do. So look what happens if you don't. This is just a summary, and I'll, I'll, I'll uh, wrap this up. But this is a great verse. This is a great verse to think about. This is how it concludes. It says, if you don't do these things, if, you, if little by little you're going the opposite direction, you know, your poverty will come upon you like a robber. And you want like an armed man. Now, here's the imagery here. This is so incredibly powerful. 
because it reinforces the principle of a little. And let me show you how. The robber comes upon you very, very slowly. You know what he's doing? He's creeping. He just creeps on you like this. You ever creep up on anybody? He's doing that. That means the thing you've been neglecting is doing this on you right here. It's creeping. And when it gets to you, it's not, a, it's not a good thing. It's not a good guy. It's a robber. He's a taker. He makes you vulnerable. He intends you harm. He doesn't intend to do anything good for you. He only has your worst interest in mind. That's, and you know what's even more sort of even weird than just the creeper? You realize it's all your own making. You're the creep. You're the creeper. You're the robber. Your own longings bring this creep on you because you're, because you're destitute now, because the moment's come. And you have that moment. Either the rock splits or you get ambushed. And then he says, you want like an armed man. And you know what? You're dangerous. You're dangerous to yourself and you're dangerous to the people around you because you've neglected the things that are the most important. And somehow we're easily getting off track and some of us are dedicated to things that do not matter. No one's going to bring it up at your funeral. And it's not going to matter when this life is over. And you're going to be desperate at the end. So, I've got... A little homework. We'll try to do homework every week during this series. Here they are, right here. Just two, two things. Number one, just become really curious about some of the bad habits. When you look at the area where you're overgrown and the rocks are coming down and the walls are coming down, just think about an area of your life right now where you could just become curious. You know, why, is our, why, why do we make this much money and never have any? Let me become curious about that. And you have a talk with your wife about why she's doing the thing. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. You just get curious, all right? You get curious. And really break it down. What are we doing? Otherwise, you, you never get around to it. You know what you'll do? You'll try to start another habit. You can't do that. you got to start. Almost everyone I read that's really doing good work and helping people move on from bad habits, they start with look at your bad habits. If you don't change one thing this week, you come in here next Sunday and go, I'm crystal clear about the dumb stuff I'm doing in my life. Crystal clear. I saw, I reflected, and I received instruction. That would be more important than you making a big old change in your life right now you can't keep. The second thing, act small. Do something small, man. Put on the, just put on the shoes and walk to the stop sign and back at a time of day that you plan to do it. Don't make it a big deal. Don't be proud of yourself. Nothing. Just do it. Get to the gym. Don't worry about you don't know what to do at the gym and you got to have all these different workouts. You got to be a great guy who knows everything about working out. Just get there and do something. That's the whole point of this. Tell your wife, we need a date night. Something small. Something you can do. Just figure out some small ones that you can do. And then we'll just sort of look closely at some of these categories that really matter in, the, in, the, in life and we'll see how we can help each other with them. Okay? I'm gonna just going to tell you this. This is really important. Some of you are going to look at your life right now and you go, yeah, we're really, you're going to look at your life. We're screwed up. We're really screwed up. 
Can I just tell you, hey, spend lunch talking about being screwed up and then get over it. Spend lunch talking about how screwed up you are and then figure out the little things you're going to do. Get really curious about the bad habits. Start doing something. Get over that. Don't you drive yourself in the ground over it. This is the day you're just going to change that. Now, let me just tell you something spiritually that I think is really important and it fits really well if you understand Christianity. Here's the thing about God that I love. You can come to God with the biggest mess in your whole life. You can go, I'm screwed up everywhere, God. Not only are these areas, or a couple of them, really messed up in my life, but I don't have you. And I don't know if I've been I'm putting a lot of energy and effort maybe in some of these things, but, but it's not you, and there's no ultimate, really, reason for my existence. That's the reason Jesus Christ came. To make sure you knew who God was. To make sure that he could do for you what you could never do for yourself. That's the cross and the resurrection. The cross helps you with the failures and the things you'll never be no matter how hard you work. And the resurrection opens up eternity for you. So that you can have something to live for beyond this life. Consider giving your life to him today. Would you bow your heads? Father, thank you for our time. I just pray that uh, you'll speak to our hearts. I pray your spirit will grab a hold of us. And that we'll do these things. Not just for ourselves. For others. Most importantly, for you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thanks for watching today's message. We hope it encourages you wherever you're at in your faith. If you enjoyed it, let your friends know. We'll catch you next time.